Good morning, everyone. Yeah, if we haven't met, I'm Paul. If I um, mention the names uh, Josh and Toby and Leo and CJ and Donna and Charlie, and I see anyone nodding knowingly, I'm not sure that I do, in fact, then if you did, I'd know that you were part of the uh, select group of fans of the TV series The West Wing. Let me tell you, because obviously you don't know, it's an excellent TV show that Margie and I have become just a little bit addicted to. <laughs> it's no longer on telly, but uh, we actually have a source who uh, has the entire series on DVD and he keeps us supplied and it's great stuff. If you're not familiar with it, it the show is set in the West Wing of the White House and it really centres on the, on the senior staff of the President, uh, Josiah Bartlett. And uh, it's, it's terrific. And it's a fascinating insight, really, into how decisions are made at the highest level in the most powerful nation on earth. And I think one thing that stands out, and I guess particularly stands out to an Australian, is the awe and the honour that surrounds the Oval Office and the President himself. To get an audience with the President of the United States is a very, very difficult thing. To enter the Oval Office is a rare and privileged event. Even his closest advisers and his friends, even his wife, cannot barge into the office. It's by invitation only. And, only, and, and when they're in there, he is always referred to as Mr. President. And no one sits in his presence unless invited. And he and his position are treated with great respect and honour. It's a rare privilege to come into the presence of the President which to me, I reckon, just highlights how stunning it is, how breathtakingly stunning it is, that in the Bible, we read invitations like this one. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Let us come into the presence of the incomparably holy God with confidence. Don't you think that's stunning? That was a question. Stunning, yeah, I think it's stunning. There is no way, let me tell you, there is no way that I'm ever going to be able to enter the Oval Office in the White House. I doubt that I will ever be able to enter the Australian Prime Minister's office in Canberra. Yet as a Christian person, I am invited to approach the throne of grace, the throne of the living, holy God, and I'm invited to do so with confidence. That's a stunning truth. And yet, you know, I reckon it's a truth that we easily take for granted. I can't help thinking that uh, if ever I was invited to enter the Oval Office, I would be far more impressed with that than the fact that I can come before my Heavenly Father in prayer whenever I want. It's almost like the confidence that I enjoy minimises, in my mind at least, the privilege that I enjoy. An audience with the President of the USA might leave a far longer impression on me than an audience with the incomparably holy Lord God. And so today, I want to try and revive my and perhaps your appreciation of the access we enjoy to the throne of grace. So make sure you have your Bible open at 1 Samuel chapter 2. And uh, there's an outline of the talk on the inside uh, of the bulletin. And I'm going to pray and ask for the Lord's help. 
Let's do that. Heavenly Father, Holy God, our rock and our redeemer. Father, we want to ask that you might help us to appreciate, perhaps a, for the first time, or perhaps appreciate anew, the stunning truth that you invite people into your presence through the Lord Jesus. And Father, as we look at this passage before us this morning, we pray that it might um, make us thankful people, respectful people, that uh, we'd be people, Father, who delight in the truth that we get to call you our Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, point one on your outline. We, uh, we left 1 Samuel last week, you might remember, with the resounding praise of Hannah's prayer. It was a prayer rejoicing in the holiness of the Lord. So if you glance back with me to chapter 2 and verse 2, you can see at the very beginning of Hannah's prayer, remember she said this, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. It's a resounding prayer of praise, uh, rejoicing in the holiness of the Lord. There is no one holy like our God. There is no rock like him. But in our passage this morning, there's actually now an immediate and dramatic shift in the tone, really, if you like. The holiness of the Lord that was so clearly valued and praised by Hannah, we now read is actually held in contempt by the very ones who should have been promoting it and should have been teaching it. Eli, who was the priest, his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, who were also priests of the Lord, we discover, were running a scam where their servants would take meat from worshipping families. And listen to how this contempt for the Lord and his holiness is described. Verse 12, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests with the people that whenever anyone offered a sacrifice and while the meat was being boiled, the servant of the priest would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand. He would plunge it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot and the priest would take for himself whatever the fork brought up. This is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. Even before the fat was burned, the servant of the priest would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. If the man said to him, let the fat be burned up first and then take whatever you want, the servant would then answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I will take it by force. It's a shameful scam. There you are preparing for the sacrifice at Shiloh, the, the temple at Shiloh. You are preparing for the sacrifice with your family. And then some lackey from the priest comes along, drops this big fork into your pot and steals for the priest whatever he fishes out. Okay, this is the ultimate potluck dinner um, back there. And even the fat that by the very law of God was to be burnt as a sacrifice, even the fat was taken. All the Israelites who came to Shiloh to worship the Lord were treated like that. But it was more than just some extortion racket, wasn't it? These were priests of the Lord. They were messing with the sacrifices to the Lord. In other words, they were sinning against the Holy Lord himself. In verse 12 we read, They had no regard for the Lord 
And in verse 17, we're told, This sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight. Why? For they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Even more than that, you know, we discover a little later in the verses to follow um, from their dad, Eli, that these guys, Hophni and Phinehas, were having sex with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting, the house of the Lord. Hophni and Phinehas were wicked men. They were opposing the Lord. They were showing utter contempt for the holiness of the Lord. They were the exact opposite to what we saw in Hannah last time. And they were priests. They were priests. They were especially set apart from all the other Israelites so that they could act as go-betweens, as middlemen, as men who would intercede between the Holy Lord and his people. Because, you see, there is no one holy like the Lord. He is incomparable in his power and might and purity and goodness. No sinful person could approach him without being condemned and destroyed. And that's why the Lord invented sacrifices and priests. The whole system of sacrifices and priests uh, and cleansing and forgiveness, that whole system was actually given by the Lord to the Israelites out of grace so as to enable them to draw close to him. There was no other way of approach. It was the only way their sin could be dealt with, cleansed and forgiven. It was, a, it was an act of grace. And as well as that, it was, a, it was a learning system, if you like, because the whole system with all of its complexities and commands also reminded every Israelite that the Lord was holy, that he couldn't be taken lightly. You couldn't just bowl up to his presence any way you liked. He, he could not be approached in the tent of meeting except with utter reverence and humility. He could not be approached without sins being dealt with first because he's holy, incomparably holy and powerful. And so you see the priests who were the descendants of the man Levi, they were vital in that. They offered the sacrifices. They worked in the tabernacle. And they, more than anyone else, should have known and should have appreciated and should have respected the holiness of the Lord Almighty. But in Shiloh, at this time we're reading about, the worship was a farce because of the contempt of Hophni and Phinehas. They cared nothing for the holiness of the Lord. They didn't fear it. They didn't respect it. And listen in as Eli, their father, who was very old, we're told, attempts to pull them into line. Jump across with me to verse 23. Verse 23, Eli speaking. So he said to them, to his sons, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear spreading among the Lord's people. If a man sins against another man, God may mediate for him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? There's the question, isn't it? Who will intercede between a sinful person and the holy Lord whom he sins against? Who's going to make things right between a sinner and the holy God that he has sinned against. Remember Hannah's prayer from last time? Jump with me back if you're able to do that back to verse 3. 
She said, do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance for the Lord is a God who knows and by him deeds are weighed. There can be no arrogance when you truly understand that the Holy Lord weighs your deeds. And yet Eli's sons, priests of the Holy Lord, look at their response to their father's words in verse 25 of chapter 2. His sons, were told, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Their hearts, their hearts were hardened in their contempt. And all in all, it is a shocking description of contempt for the holiness of the Lord God. But I don't know if you noticed, but in the middle of that passage, as Lynn was reading, there's a sort of a unexpected in in many ways set of verses Um, in the middle of these verses describing the contempt of Eli's sons there's a short passage that's given over to Samuel and Hannah and Elkanah it's one of those passages that if it wasn't there you might not have noticed it was missing I'm sure you wouldn't have noticed it was missing which immediately should prompt us to suspect that it matters a great deal why else would it be there And I want to suggest that in the midst of this description of contempt for the holiness of the Lord, these verses, these middle verses, in fact, expose the folly, the stupidity of such contempt. Let's have a look at them back in verse 18 of chapter 2. Verse 18. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She conceived and gave birth to three sons and two, two daughters. And meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. Those verses like this little snapshot of the boy Samuel and his family, but especially Samuel, untouched by the corruption of Hophni and Phinehas, which is going on all around him. He's a priest. He wore what priests wore, the linen ephod, which uh, is a, is a loincloth, believe it or not. And that makes me glad that I am no longer a priest and I'm not in the Old Testament, and that should make you very glad too. But he is ministering before the Lord. He is growing up in the presence of the Lord. But notice too in those verses how the grace of the Lord is stressed. The Lord was gracious to Hannah and gave her five more children in addition to Samuel. I guess you need to notice that the verses are a summary, so she didn't have all those five kids in one go. That might not have been quite so gracious. But the Lord is holy and powerful and pure, but he is clearly gracious. And notice too in those verses the sovereignty of the Lord God. His priests may be corrupt, but the Lord continues to work his purposes out. Under the very corrupt priest noses, in the very presence of the negligent Eli, the Lord is moving forward with his perfect plans and purposes. In fact, he is already preparing the leadership to replace the corruption of Eli and his sons. This is the Lord that Hannah praised back in chapter 2. This is the Lord that Hannah boasted in and gave thanks to. He is holy. He is gracious. He is sovereign. And all of which I reckon exposes the stupidity of the contempt 
of Hophni and Phinehas going on all around them. They are showing contempt, you see, for the one who raises the humble. They are showing contempt for the one who guards the feet of his saints, who delivers his people. The holiness of the Lord God should be a treasure to his people, a delight to his people. And Hannah knew that. Hannah experienced that. But Hophni and Phinehas, they rejected it. And so their contempt was judged. Point two on your outline and verse 27 of chapter two. Let me read. Now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Did I not clearly reveal myself to your father's house when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your father out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your father's house all the offerings made with fire by the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel? We're not told who this man of God was. It doesn't matter really. What matters is that he is of God and he brings the word of God to Eli and it is a hard word. He reminds Eli, doesn't he, of the grace of the Lord in setting apart Aaron, who is his father, his ancestor, if you like, and his descendants to be priests before him. Aaron, who was with Moses in Egypt, is Eli's ancestor, his father. And yet Eli had scorned the privilege. He'd scorned the grace of the Lord. He would preferred to honour his sons rather than to honour the Lord. We need to notice here that Eli bears the blame for his son's wickedness, as they do too. And maybe there's something in there for us dads. The Lord is the God who knows, and by him his deeds are weighed. And Eli may have rebuked his sons in those earlier verses, but he didn't remove them. And so he'd failed. And the very thing, the very thing that Eli had warned his sons of back in verse 25 the judgment of the Holy Lord, that judgment is passed now against Eli and against his family. Verse 30, Therefore the Lord, the God of Israel, declares, I promised that your house and your father's house would minister before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, those who honour me I will honour, those who despise me will be disdained. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your family line, and you will see distress in my dwelling. Although good will be done to Israel in your family line, there will never be an old man. Every one of you that I do not cut off from my altar will be spared only to blind your eyes with tears and to grieve your heart, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. The contempt of Phinehas and Hophni and Eli for the Lord and his holiness is nothing compared to the contempt of the Holy Lord for them. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? And judgment falls on the house of Eli. And in fact, to emphasize this terrible judgment, 
It's repeated in chapter 3 through the boy Samuel. You can read it later yourself. I hope that you will. But the boy Samuel, still serving under Eli in chapter 3, is called by the Lord to be his prophet, his messenger. And the very first message that he delivers is a repeat of this message of judgment against Eli and his family line. We'll see more of that next week as we keep on reading and see how that judgment was served. But for now, I want us to notice just how important it is to the Lord to have a proper priesthood. A priesthood that properly reflects and honours his holiness. A priesthood that rightly enables people, sinful people, to approach him in worship. The whole priesthood and sacrificial system, remember, was a gracious provision of the Holy Lord to enable people to approach him in safety. And the sin and the contempt of Eli and his sons was a stain on that, on that gracious provision. They were getting in the way of people approaching the Holy Lord in safety. And so the Lord promises their removal. His desire there in verse 32 is that good will be done to Israel, that good will be done to his people. And part of that good is the removal of a corrupt priest and his family line. It's a terrible judgment, but we need to see that it is very gracious to his people. And we can see that grace uh, towards us shine even more brightly, really, in the verses that follow. Have a look at verse 35 with me. And point three on your outline. Verse 35. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. I will firmly establish his house and he will minister before my anointed one always. The only way you see that sinful people can approach the Holy Lord is to have someone appointed by the Lord to intercede for us, to act as our go-between, our middleman, if you like. We need someone to deal with our sin. That's true now, and it was true back then. So it's a great great and gracious promise that the Lord gives there through that man of God in verse 35. The Lord could have said, look, enough, okay, enough. Eli, your ancestral line, it's over. And look, there'll be no more priests. There'll be no more means of sinful people approaching me. No more means of sin being dealt with. It's enough. Justice would have been served by such a pronouncement. But the Lord didn't say that. He graciously promised to raise up another priest, a faithful priest, whose house would be established, who would have a family tree of priests serving before the Lord's anointed, before the king. It's a fantastic promise. It sings loudly and sweetly of the grace of the Lord to an undeserving people. And we could keep on reading the story of the Old Testament to see how that unfolds. But of course, if we were to keep on reading the Bible, we would see that it is a promise answered finally and fully, surprisingly yet wonderfully, in the Lord Jesus himself. Eli belonged to the family of Aaron from the tribe of Levi, the Levitical priesthood. But you see, so intent is the Lord to provide a perfect priesthood and a perfect sacrifice, and a complete forgiveness of sins, that as the story of the Bible unfolds, 
In the end, the Lord looks beyond even the whole family tree of Eli, even beyond the whole family of Aaron, and even beyond Levi himself to a new priesthood altogether, we're told. The priesthood of the Lord Jesus. And in the New Testament, it's the letter to the Hebrews which really testifies most clearly and fully to this new perfect priesthood. There's lots to read in Hebrews about the priesthood of Jesus. But for now, I just want us to turn to one particular passage. If you've got a Bible, it would be great to turn it up. Head right to Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 23. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 23. I'll give you a chance to find it. Hebrews 7 and verse 23. Let me read. Now there have been many of those priests, talking about Levitical priests from the tribe of Levi, there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Unlike the priesthood of Eli and Aaron and all the rest, Jesus' new priesthood is permanent. For unlike them, we're told, he lives forever. He doesn't need a replacement like Eli or any of the others. He is forever. He is eternal And so he is always able to intercede for his people. He is always able to bring his people into the very presence of the Holy Lord. We're told there, aren't we? It's a great phrase. He is able to save his people completely. He is able to save them forever. Or as the ESV translation puts it, he is able to save them to the uttermost. How great is that? complete, whole, perfect salvation. But there is another significant way, you know, in which Jesus is a far superior priest to Eli or any of the other Levitical priests. Keep reading, verse 26. We read, Such a high priest meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Eli's sons and Eli himself, remember, disqualified themselves through their wickedness and their sin. They had contempt for the holiness of the Lord. But of course, you know what? Even if the other priests weren't as wicked as Hophni and Phinehas and Eli, even though if they were just uh, uh, like sinners like us, Jesus is far superior to any of them. Jesus, as the Son of God, shares in the very holiness of the Lord God. He is utterly blameless he is completely pure not one of the sinners but set apart from sinners perfectly separate from sin perfectly separate from disobedience and arrogance sin and all of which makes the sacrifice he offers on our behalf so fantastic so wonderful verse 27 unlike the other high priests He does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. 
He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. Did you catch it? The other priests, before they could offer a sacrifice on behalf of the people, they had to first offer one for themselves because they too were sinners. But not Jesus. He had no sin needing to be dealt with. And so he had had only to offer a sacrifice for the sins of his people. And what a sacrifice it was. It was such a great sacrifice. It was a one-off. It was so perfect. It was so effective. It had only to be delivered once, only offered once. And its benefits are wide, aren't they? This sacrifice was offered once for all. Once for all. And you can see the once for all sacrifice described there in verse 27. The last three words... He offered himself. Jesus sacrificed for his people to allow them access into the very presence of the Holy Lord God was himself, the perfect, unblemished lamb. His death turned aside the righteous wrath of the Holy Lord God at our sin. He was punished that we might not be. He, had no, he who had no sin became sin for us. He was our stand-in. He was our substitute. He sacrificed for the sins of his people once for all when he offered himself. A little later, in Hebrews chapter 9, it's described like this. You could flick it up if you wanted to. Chapter 9 and verse 13, just over the page. Chapter 9 and verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that leads to death so that we may serve the living God? That's what Jesus accomplished for us as our perfect priest. An opportunity to be clean, not just on the outside, but inwardly clean. To be completely forgiven of our sin. To be treated no longer as sinners, but as sons and daughters by the Holy Lord God himself. Friends, we need to grasp what a stunning opportunity that is. To have all of your wrong put right. To have all of the dirt in your life washed clean. To be restored to the Lord God himself, your maker, and to be able to call him dad. That is a stunning opportunity. To be able to live now in the present as his forgiven child with the Lord God as your rock and your refuge. And to be guaranteed life eternal with him in the age to come beyond this broken creation. That is glorious. That is fantastic. And that is what is now possible because of the priestly ministry of Jesus. The Lord God Almighty, incomparable in holiness, was so concerned to make a way possible for you to come into his presence that the Lord Jesus came and offered himself as the sacrifice for our sins. And so that now we can be invited to draw near to to the Lord God through faith In Jesus. 
And friends, I want to pass on that invitation to you this morning. Because you know what? It may well be that you are still on the outside of that privilege. I know you're inside a church building, but you may be on the outside of that privilege of being able to approach the Lord God as your heavenly Father without fear of condemnation. It may well be that you are yet to be cleansed by Jesus and his death for you. It may well be that your sins have yet to be dealt with. So come to Jesus. Give up trying to satisfy the Holy Lord through your own efforts. Because that is impossible. You have sinned against the Lord. Who can mediate for you? Who could possibly make things right between you when you've sinned against the Holy God? Well, only the Lord himself. And wonderfully, in Jesus, he has done all that needs to be done. So submit to him. Give to Jesus your loyalty and your love and your life. And many of us here this morning have done exactly that, haven't we? And we know the thrill of that. We know the thrill to have the confidence to approach the throne of grace, the throne of God, our Father. And you know what? If tomorrow morning you get a knock on your door pretty early and you open it, and there outside your door are two secret service agents, black suits, dark glasses, the earpiece, that'll be the giveaway. (laughs) Behind them in your driveway there is a black suburban van with heavily tinted glass. And if they tell you, look... You've been invited to go with them to Washington and to enjoy an audience with the President of the United States in the Oval Office. Make sure you're polite to them, won't you? Thank them, that is a great privilege. But make sure you tell them that as great as that is, you already enjoy free access to none other than the living, holy Lord God. You already enjoy access to his throne of grace. And we need to remember that, don't we, brothers and sisters? As we pray, as we live each day, as we go to work, as we do the shopping, as we relax in all that we do, because of the priestly ministry of Jesus, we can do it all as the forgiven, cleansed children of the Lord. And one day very soon, we will be ushered into his very presence. And in the very presence of the Holy Lord God, we'll not hear words of condemnation from a righteous judge, we will hear words of welcome from our Saviour. Welcome home, my child. Make yourself at home. And it will all be thanks to the priestly ministry of Jesus. Holy, blameless, pure, sacrificed for our sins once and for all when he offered himself. How about we pray? Take a moment, why don't you, just to talk to God yourself in the quietness of your mind and heart. You can because of what Jesus has achieved for you.
Heavenly Father, there is no one holy like you. There's no rock like you. You, Lord, you know all things. You weigh our deeds. Lord, if you kept a record of sins, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. And we praise you for that. Father, we thank you for your anger at Eli and his sons. We thank you, Father, for your determination to have a a way of access open so that sinful people like us could approach you in safety. And we thank you because we see that so clearly in the death of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he was holy and blameless and pure and set apart from us sinners. And yet we thank you that he offered himself once for all so that we might be able to draw near to you. Father, we're sorry for times in which we've taken such privilege for granted. We're sorry, Father, for times in which we too have shown contempt for your holiness. And we ask that you would fill us with thanksgiving for Jesus. Father, can I especially pray for any of us here this morning who uh, came along this morning yet to really have come to you through Jesus. And I pray for those people here this morning, Father, that you might reveal yourself to them, give them the courage and the humility they need to submit to Jesus and so be forgiven that they too might be able to call you dad. Father, we long for that day when Jesus, our king and our priest, will usher us into your presence and you'll welcome us home. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.